Welcome to the Northwestern Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Kluwer. In so many ways, sports can be a great equalizer. It brings people together from all backgrounds, circumstances, and physical abilities. In recent years, great strides have been made to enable those with disabilities to not only better participate in sports, but to better engage with them as a fan. An enormous driver for that continued evolution is our guest today, Bryce Weiler. Bryce is a co-founder of the Beautiful Lives Project and its national advocacy officer. Bryce was born four months premature and developed an eye condition called retinopathy that caused him to be blind. Bryce's passion for sports on the radio led him to commentate on sports radio broadcasts for the University of Evansville, where he earned a bachelor's degree in sports management and communication. Bryce went on to earn his master's degree in sports administration from Western Illinois University. After college, Bryce began developing programs for fans with disabilities. The first team to join him in his work were the Baltimore Orioles and the New Britain Bees baseball teams. It is an absolute honor to have Bryce on the podcast today. And his stories and where he's been and where he's going are so inspiring to all of us. So we hope you all enjoy Adam's conversation with Bryce Weiler. Welcome to the Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Grossman. With me today is Bryce Weiler. Bryce, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Adam. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to have you. We're very much looking forward to this conversation. So we want to start with the question that we ask all our guests to start out with, which is tell me how you got to this point in your career and life to date. I started when I was very young, driving around on my driveway at home, on the concrete driveway, listening to NASCAR races on the radio. Since I am blind, the, the visual pictures of the races helped me to understand what was going on on the track. And I would ride around on my big wheels, listening to Jeff Gordon and Mark Martin going around the racetrack. And my parents would always be surprised that I would never run into the garage door. But having good hearing, I used that to listen for echoes and so that I wouldn't run into anything and hurt myself. As I grew older, I started listening to Brian Barnhart commentating Illinois football and basketball and Don Fisher commentating Indiana Hoosiers football and basketball. It was through listening to those two broadcasters that I was able to obtain a visual picture of the action on the court or on the field. As I finished up college at the Indiana School for the Blind, or finished up high school at the Indiana School for the Blind, I became friends with the former University of Evansville Aces head men's basketball coach, Marty Simmons, who said if I came to Evansville as a student, that he would allow me the opportunity to sit on his Evansville Aces men's basketball bench. Being a part of a college basketball team was something that I was always interested in doing, and I really wanted to be around sports. So sitting on the Evansville basketball bench were, were some of the most life-changing moments in my life, having that opportunity to experience college basketball. Also, whenever I was a student at Evansville, I learned how to commentate games on the radio as a blind radio broadcaster by studying the style of the teams who were in the game, by studying the style of the play-by-play broadcaster who I was commentating with, and by 
shooting free throws on the court, if I was commentating a basketball game to figure out how the ball bounced off the rim or just just by the sound what was going on so that I could better analyze the game. I graduated from Evansville in 2014, having studied sports management and sports broadcasting. And I then decided to go to graduate school at Western Illinois, where I studied uh, sports as well. Western Illinois was a lot harder for me because the athletic department did not think that I could do things since I cannot see. So the athletic department was not really willing to give me opportunities to do things, even though they had promised those to me if I came there as a graduate student. So that showed me to never take opportunities in my life for granted and to always try to help those who have disabilities to overcome obstacles, barriers, and challenges that are put in their way. And through that, I started helping companies and sports teams as a disability consultant, helping make baseball more accessible and helping companies outside of sports such as EverFi, Latch, and Gray Television. And, and we can talk more about that. But that is a, a short summary of um, from my um, uh, early years through 2016 when I finished in graduate school at Western uh, Illinois. One thing about my um, uh, earliest years were I was born uh, almost four months premature in 1991, and due to either too much light or various other challenges in the hospital, the doctors are not sure, that caused the retinas in my eyes to detach, which caused me to be blind. So I was able to see for the first couple of days of my birth, but then due to either too much light or too much other um, things, it caused the retinas in my eyes to detach. So that's a summary of 25 years of my life from 1991 through 2016. Yeah, I, I there's a couple of things we wanted to talk about based off the summary of your life and then touch some of the work that you're doing in the sports industry now. One of the reasons we got connected after you had reached out to me, you shared a video that you had presented as part of your discussions with the Minnesota Vikings. In it, you talked about your experience in more detail at Western Illinois and kind of some of the things that you were able to overcome. I, I know you highlight them a little bit here, but I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about your experience at Western Illinois, because I do think that experience helped to shape, at least from my perspective, a lot of the work that you're doing now, particularly helping disabled fans become more engaged in sports and developing networks and groups of people that uh, can really create a, a good relationship that kind of centers around sports. So if, if you don't mind, can you share a little bit more about your experience at Western Illinois? Yes, I can. When I was at Western Illinois, it was a lot harder for me to find students to eat with me and to help me in the cafeteria. Whenever I was in college previously um, with, with Marty Simmons and his uh, um, men's basketball team, I had many students who would help me get my food in the cafeteria at Evansville. They would shoot free throws with me in the Evansville practice gym. And this was really something that I took for granted, just always having someone there to help me. Probably the hardest day for me at Western Illinois was when I'd scheduled someone to have dinner with me and the person did not show up. And I was asking students whether or not they'd be willing to eat with me or to help me or to guide me through the cafeteria. And they, the students were just walking by me or they would tell me that they were scared to guide me or to help me since I cannot see. 
And finally, after going through that for about 15 minutes, I walked into the cafeteria because I was hungry and I really wanted to eat. And I was just so embarrassed and frustrated at that point in time. I walked into the cafeteria and I asked the first table of students that I came to whether or not they'd be willing to help me. And they weren't really interested in doing that. So I moved on to the second table of students and they really wanted to help me. And they're still some of my greatest friends who I talk to today, Anna, Rachel, Summer, Sarah, some others as well. And through that, I, I really realized that day that, that you don't have to have a fancy job title to impact someone's life. Everyone wants to talk about their famous people I, that I know, Rick Pitino and Brad Stevens and some other people and things like that. But those people aren't any more important to me than, than the students that helped me out at Evansville or the students that helped me out when I was in graduate school at Western in Macomb. Now, one other moment that really stands out to me when I was in graduate school that I didn't talk about in the Viking speech was whenever I was in my undergraduate at Evansville, I commentated over 90 games on the radio as a blind radio analyst and broadcaster. But when I got to Western Illinois, the staff was a little nervous to give me that opportunity. So in the spring of that year, Joe Pott, the radio broadcaster for Southern Illinois, um, uh, the Cougars, uh, uh, Edwardsville, um, S-I-S-I-U-E, Joe gave me the opportunity to broadcast with him. And that was really an important day for me because so much during that year of 2014 to 2015, I hadn't really gotten to do anything. And that really showed me to still have faith that I could create my own opportunities. Then my second year of graduate school, 2015, 2016, I was able to commentate four basketball games on the radio to Western Illinois men's games and two women's games for Western Illinois, along with two Western baseball games. So staying with it and surrounding myself with people who believed in me and who knew that I could do these things really showed to me that, that that's what it takes to help people who have disabilities to be successful in life is finding people who believe in you and but most importantly, believing in yourself and still continuing to try to do what you want to do and what your dreams are in life. And that goes for anybody, whether he or she has a disability or they don't. Just always continue to strive for what you think is right and always try to help others who might not be given the same opportunities because of various other misconceptions about various things that 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 people might might do or, or how they might look or things of that nature. Yeah, I think that point is very well taken, both for people with disabilities, without disabilities, having a community that believes in you and sports is a very helpful pathway to create those types of communities. A shared love of sports is something that can resonate across people from a variety of different backgrounds, experiences, abilities. And I think that's something that leads me to my next question, which I meant to ask before, you, you mentioned how you listened to races when you were younger. What was it about sports specifically, either from listening to races or sports specifically that resonated with you and made you become a fan of sports from such a young age? It was really, and still is, listening to the game or the race on 
on the radio because on the radio a picture has to be created of the game the race whatever it is that that you might be listening to on the radio so having that picture like for example i still listen to old time uh westerns like old time western uh uh radio shows from the 1940s and the 1950s gunsmoke and hopalong cassidy things like that because on the radio you're creating a picture whether it's a picture yeah. of what's going on in the western style shootout or in sports the picture of what's going on on the field the racetrack or the court so having that picture created for me really got me interested in sports and that's why i still try to broadcast games today whenever someone allows me the opportunity to do so is because i i want to give back for those broadcasters who helped create that picture for me and I want to be able to share the stories of the student athletes and the coaches across the country, especially in sports such as women's basketball, women's soccer and softball, because women's sports, the athletes and the coaches don't get the coverage they deserve and they don't have their stories shared as much as they should be shared. So I especially enjoy the opportunity to commentate women's athletics and sharing those stories. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Again, uh, the idea of bringing more exposure to women's sports is something I've talked about on my side from my content perspective. It's great that you're highlighting it from your side as well. And I do want to potentially get back into that. I also want to flag that we will ask you about Brad Stevens and Rick Pitino at some point in this interview as well, because I definitely want to hear more about that. But I do want to continue kind of sequentially on your story. You know, after you came to graduate school and you've subsequently have built an organization relationship with teams, but how did you get involved with the sports industry after you graduated from college? What were the, some of the steps you took to build a network and relationships so that you could enter into the sports industry and start having the types of impact that you wanted to have, both with the disabled and other communities that you're looking to target? I started when I was in college at Evansville, figuring out email formats for sports teams and companies, just as how I figured out how I could email you, Adam, through your mm -hmm. work. I know every email format for every professional sports team in the country, all 120 or 130 of them, wow. all the email formats for the leagues. I know email formats for companies on the New York Stock Exchange, most every one. I can I can quote them to you. I won't do that. So, so <laughs> some of your friends in sports aren't getting uh, emails from from people, but I know websites to to look that up on. And I also found now some some people who have disabilities don't think that I should use this as my subject line, but for most every email I send to someone for the first time, I make the subject line speaking with you, I hope, as I am blind. And I don't know why people open that, but it doesn't matter if I'm asking for a signed item for an auction, talking about how I enjoyed a broadcaster commentating a game, sharing about how I'd like to help make a social media more accessible or websites more accessible people will open emails when i use that as a subject line so how did you first i think logistically how did you figure out all the email conventions for teams and companies just trial and error how did you determine that there are certain websites that that you can go to for some companies they have staff email listed some companies have their um um, media contacts listed. For example, there's a sports league. I'm not going to say which one, so they don't take it take it down potentially. But right. one of the sports league 
leagues has media contacts listed for all of its team teams. So when a new team comes into this league, I just wait till they put up the media contact and I know then what that team email format is. So that's a league that I really enjoy because I don't have to ever worry to figure out email formats for that league. But for the other leagues, I have websites that I use. Um, if I can't find it, I will guess, but I can basically find any one that I want. And then your next point about the subject line, email subject lines are actually something that are a much discussed topic from a marketing perspective, because increasing email open rates and people clicking and taking action is, is just a very common problem or a very common challenge that sports organizations and all businesses face. I want to talk about, you mentioned how people in the disabled community may find that to be objectionable. And I do want to talk about that, kind of your perspective on some of those types of topics, but just how did you come up with? Was that something you always used? Was that something you found through your own testing? Or how did you figure out that that was the best path forward for you? I started using that more than 10 years ago, because yeah. normally in the second or, th or third sentence of an email, I tell them that I am blind. And then I go on to explain about how sitting on the Evansville basketball bench changed my life, or I talk about yeah. other work I've done with teams or with my nonprofit. And, and things of that nature. But if I didn't explain to them that I was blind in the second sentence, they may be really confused why sitting on a basketball bench and never playing a minute of college basketball were some of the most influential days and evenings of my life, being able to shoot free throws, visit with the coaches, just be around people who cared about me and who still uh, support what I do. Coach Simmons and who's at Eastern Illinois now, the other coaches, the former Evansville players, all the coaches I met who are on the other bench, Ben Jacobson, Bryce Drew, a whole bunch of other people. This is obviously potentially a sensitive topic, but that it, one of the things we try to highlight it in the course and in the book that I wrote is this idea of ethics and sports. And clearly, like you said, leading with their disability to create introductions could be looked at in a negative way. From your perspective, how do you think about those kinds of topics where, you know, weirdly leveraging your disability could create an advantage in this context because more people maybe are likely to respond because of that? How do, how do you think about that from your perspective, obviously, given, the, given what you talked about earlier? I just try to explain to people who don't know why that I tell them that I'm blind or, or sometimes people who have disabilities get upset that I say that so early in a yeah. email message that if I didn't put that in there, the rest of it wouldn't make sense to people. And they'd be confused why sitting on a basketball bench meant so much to me. Why wouldn't I want to be out on the court playing or things, things like that. So it just helps to explain context of everything else that I'm telling in a, in an email, in a podcast, even, even talking here with you, you didn't say I was blind at the start and I forgot for a few minutes myself. And then I realized, Oh, I, <laughs> I have to explain that quickly or else they're going to be confused when I get to talking about why uh, sitting on the Evansville basketball bench was so important to me. So sometimes I do forget for a few moments that I should explain it, but then I I realize it's important and I need to explain that. 
Yeah, I will say that hopefully we're recording this part of the podcast before we record the intro. In the intro, there would be that context, but it's probably a good point on your part that I should have highlighted that again, the initial question. Hopefully people will have that context before we get to this part of the discussion. But I do think that is an interesting discussion point. And I think you've done a very good job of doing is leaning in, for lack of a better term, leaning into the fact that this is something that obviously is an important, if not a defining characteristic of who you are. And describing who you are to people is an important way to get to know them. And that is something that is obviously a big part of your life and your story. And I think that's something that you can lean into. Obviously, it's your decision to do that. And I think it makes sense and it it can resonate with other folks who are trying to think about these types of issues. You mentioned you reached out to me and I can tell from my own experience that receiving the email the way you did it was definitely something that resonated with me. And that's part of the reason we've started to have a conversation and have kept exploring these issues, which I'm very thankful that we're able to do. But I do want to, again, come back to your story, which we keep talking about, and I want to keep on that path, which is you sent out these emails, you developed these contacts. So what was your big break or first break or your first opportunity to really either work with a professional sports team or how were you able to lean into gaining a relationship with a professional sports team or college sports team in a way where you could talk directly to decision makers or people who would help to lead the strategy around these topics for major professional sports organization? What was your first opportunity to really do that? In 2016, I started helping Baltimore's baseball team to become more accessible for people who have disabilities, helping to make Camden Yards more accessible for people who have disabilities. In 2018, Baltimore became the first team in sports to wear Braille on their jerseys to show the importance of people who are blind learning how to read Braille. I've also helped to ensure that that both Baltimore's home stadium of Camden Yards and their spring training stadium of, of Ed Smith Stadium out in Sarasota are accessible for people of all uh, groups. And we've also done programs where people of all um, groups, whether they're blind or having learning disabilities or autism, were able to play on the field with some of Baltimore's players and coaches at uh, Camden Yards. And I became friends with some of their um, higher level staff through um, just contacting them and went out in 2016 for the second home game of the season. Baltimore was playing the Minnesota Twins. My friend Paul Molitor was managing the Minnesota Twins at that point in time, and Baltimore staff gave me the opportunity to throw out the first pitch to my friend uh, um, Paul Molitor, who was managing uh, the Twins. The Twins bench, bench coach came out with me, and Baltimore sent out their bench coach as well, and that was really fun. And them allowing me to do that really showed me that there's someone and a staff who sees beyond the game of baseball and all their staff as a whole wants to use baseball as a vehicle of change and a way to go beyond whatever happens on the field to help people who have disabilities to be successful and enjoy going to the Orioles games, going to Camden Yards and really just changing people's lives who have disabilities. For example, One crucial thing about when the Orioles wore Braille on their jerseys was many people who become blind or visually impaired partway through their life or or obtain or get any disability partway through their life, they have a hard time accepting that they have to do things differently, such as learning how to read Braille. 
because that can open yeah. the entire world up to them again. So when the Orioles wore Braille on their jerseys, they were able to show that it's okay to learn how to read Braille or to be different. And that was one of the most influential moments in sports. And, and it's something that I've been honored to have been able to be at that game that night and to help set everything up, help the visually impaired and blind fans be able to have a great experience and really enjoy that game in September 2018. Yeah, I, I really think having Braille on the jerseys is a really great idea. We've talked about this, but the idea of having Braille on jerseys is certainly a logical extension that should be applied to other sports organizations and sports teams to in the exact for the exact reasons you described. There's a piece that you and I both are um, cited in on John Wall Street, where you talk about other ideas for how sports organizations can engage with disabled fans. Can you talk a little bit more? Braille is a great example. Braille on jerseys. Can you talk about other ideas that you think would be beneficial for sports organizations to pursue so that they can better engage with disabled fans? Other ways that sports organizations can help people of all groups would be ensuring that on their suites, this is more so in a basketball stadium or a hockey stadium, suites are typically open air. So putting a sliding glass panel where you can slide the door partway closed or the panel partway closed to block out some of the crowd noise. Suites right. at a baseball stadium typically have doors. So that's, that's something for the design of the stadium. Whenever people want to hire individuals of all um, uh, disabilities for jobs and employment, ensuring that the HR staff knows how to read Braille, ensuring that someone knows how to read sign language, and just doing, doing that, really analyzing job roles to ensure that people who have disabilities can can fill the roles and setting aside a budget to purchase any accommodations or assistance that might be needed for people who have disabilities. When you think about a website, don't just read the written codes that are written because there are groups of people who are left out of the written codes mm -hmm. for websites. Think about how everyone is going to to interact with the website and whether it is written legally or not that you have to do something think about how every single disability is going to interact with the content on that page whether it be the text the videos or the pictures and the same thing holds true for social media thinking about how you're going to make that accessible for every disability and when you make a choice for one disability you have to think about how the choice you made possibly to help someone who's blind may be harder or easier for someone who has trouble understanding written text or understanding a video. And then you have to make a, a counterbalancing choice that will help that group to understand what is going on. It sounds like a complicated process, but this is all I think about every day. And so it is not too challenging when you think about it all the time. One of the reasons I wanted to reference the article that will have come out before this or should have come out before this podcast airs is 
the thesis that you and I had discussed about, you just even corrected me now, it should be that you shouldn't think of disabled fans as a separate type or a different type of sports fan other than in some of the ways you're describing, but should be considered as sports fans and sports fans and and customers that teams should be engaging with because they're like everybody else who's interested in sports, passionate about sports, loves sports, wants to be fans, wants to be potentially be marketed to. How do you think sports, whether, again, I don't mean to specifically separate out disabled fans, but this is something that is common in sports and business more generally, is how do we look to target specific demographics that could be avid users or avid fans of our product offerings? How do you think that's given the spending power of the disabled community, how do you think that sports organizations should think of um, disabled fans as a audience segment, fan segment that they should look at and target and be including or take an inclusive stance to market to as part of their overall strategy. Sports teams should think of fans of all disabilities as people who want to enjoy the sports and enjoy the opportunities to get away just as much as as any other fan. For many people who have disabilities, sports is a way where they can forget the obstacles and the struggles that that they are going through, such as people not allowing them to do something because of their disability or people not wanting to, to give them opportunities. And oftentimes companies or sports teams could be hesitant to really engage in finding ways to assist people who have disabilities because they don't have the, the necessary training or the necessary understanding to run a comprehensive program for people who have disabilities. In the speech I gave to the Minnesota Vikings, I spoke about I spoke about how all the departments could work together from marketing, human resources, the website staff, the staff who makes apps, the staff who runs the social media, doing give back programs to help people who have disabilities have experiences through football or through any sport or with any company if they're outside of sports. So it all comes together as a cohesive plan to help people who have disabilities to enjoy the, the product, whether it's sports or something else, if it's a company outside of sports. But furthermore, if a company wants to attract a diverse talent set, employing people who have disabilities is just as important as hiring people from undervalued uh, other types of groups, um, um, ethnic groups or other groups such as that. And the best way to really show that a company or sports team wants to hire people who have disabilities is doing some of the items that I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, doing give back programs to people who have disabilities, working to make posts accessible for all disabilities, and really showing that that the company or the sports team wants to have everyone involved at their games, reading listening and watching to what they're posting and experiencing their culture. And through that, they're going to get more people who have disabilities applying for jobs because the people who have disabilities realize that this company or the sports team really wants to help and really cares about helping people who have disabilities because all companies and all sports teams say that they are an equal opportunity employer and they will hire anyone, no matter his or her ethnic background or disability. But people who have disabilities have a hard time believing that because so often it doesn't happen that way. That's a really good point. And one I think that deserves 
more attention. And I want to ask about that in the context of your nonprofit that you started. I want you to, A, to describe what the nonprofit does, but B, is that an important mission of the nonprofit is to help sports organizations, but also non-sports organizations identify disabled talent to bring into the organization in a professional context and how, or what are other steps that could be done so that organizations could identify disabled talent that can have substantial impacts on an, on a business, either inside or outside of sports. The Beautiful Lives Project, which I started in May of 2017 with my co-owner, Anthony Icavone, who is our co-founder, gives people who have disabilities the opportunity to participate in programs in sports, art, music, cheerleading, dance, a whole range of programs and opportunities throughout the country where people who have disabilities are able to experience playing on the field with sports teams such as Michigan State football and Boston College football or perform with cheerleading teams such as the Eastern Kentucky cheer team and dance team or the Northern Iowa dance team or learn how to do pottery or sculpture. And these opportunities give people who have disabilities the chance to have experiences that they would not otherwise have been able to have. But it also allows people with disabilities to realize that there's people who want to help them to be successful in their life, whether it's myself and the other Beautiful Lives Project staff, the hosts of the events, the volunteers who come, sponsors who sponsor the events. And it also brings in a whole range of people together. And they're all able to see that people who have disabilities can do so many things. They're just lacking for opportunities. And if they're given that opportunity, they are going to be successful. Tom Benson taught me how to analyze games when I was at Evansville. And I've since um, analyzed and commentated on over 155 games on the radio in a range of sports. Marty Simmons gave me that chance to sit on his Evansville men's basketball bench. I turned that opportunity into giving that back to as many people as I can and helping as many companies and sports teams as I can to be as accessible as they can be for people of all disabilities. So we try to show with the opportunities through the Beautiful Lives Project, we want to give people who have disabilities chances that they haven't had before to experience sports or experience art or whatever type of a program we are running, but also use through that opportunity to show that that's what's lacking for people who have disabilities are the opportunities and the chances to live their dreams, but also their own chances to be a part of society as a whole and help make society better through their own unique perspective on the challenges, challenges, obstacles, and barriers that they have had to overcome. That's a great point, opportunity, and thinking about creating opportunities to contribute. And I think something that should be a typical organizational priority is to focus on diversity and to get people with diverse backgrounds and experiences. And I think thinking about the ability for disabled people to contribute will only serve to impact those organizations in a positive way. And you, we've referenced a little bit, obviously we focused on sports, but I did want to ask you from a non-sports context, you mentioned some of the organizations that you worked with, but what are the, some of the opportunities that you've seen there? And have you seen best practices in a non-sports context that sports organizations could um, look to either copy or mimic or take and adopt their own in a sports context that you find to be really effective in ways to provide these types of opportunities to the larger disabled community? Well, the best practices between sports teams and companies outside of sports are the same. 
I do the same thing when I help a company, whether they're inside of sports or outside of sports, make their social media accessible or the website accessible or run a program to hire people with disabilities for employment. The, the major benefit of companies are there are thousands of companies that I can help to make them become more accessible. In sports teams, there's 130 professional sports teams right. in this country, and there's four or 500 colleges and, and some colleges, it's a lot harder to, to help them based on their, their budgets or how the athletic department is set up. So with, with a company, it's the same type of a program. I don't do anything different than I would do when I'm helping a sports team. Basically everything is the same. I just have more people that I can go after and try to convince because one of the hardest things that I've had with sports teams is it's the same people running a given team year after year. And very rarely am I able to change someone's mind whenever I try to contact them again, but I still keep trying because I still believe that, that, that anyone over time can have his or her mind changed about why they should help people who have disabilities or why it's important. And I never really know what is going to change someone's mind, whether it's a video of a speech that I gave mm-hmm. or emailing them and checking back in every so often or sending them a video of a Beautiful Lives Project event showing people with disabilities experiencing football or learning how to paint. You never know what is going to change someone's mind. And I never fully give up on anyone in sports or even any, any company in sports because anyone can change his or her mind any day. They just have to finally be willing to open their hearts and to open their souls up to really valuing what people who have disabilities can bring to their company and really wanting to show that to the world, whether they're in sports, they're a restaurant or some other business type. Again, it's a great point in terms of opening the apertures to understand what's out there and what's available. And I am putting you on the spot a little bit here. Is there an example of a company or another sports team that you think is doing this well in terms of either providing opportunities from employment for disabled people or who is doing a good job outside of the Orioles in terms of engaging disabled people as customers or as consumers? So you think, because I think part of what it's hard to, this is not just for this specific topic, but topics generally is we want to pursue something, but we don't know how to start, or is there a representative case study that we can look to as an example of how we should be doing this? Clearly, like organizations will contact you through the work that you're doing, both with this podcast and all the things that you've done to help spread the message about this. But what's an example of somebody is that somebody could refer to, in addition, potentially to the Orioles of something that you think is doing a good job on this topic? Even when I first started helping with the Orioles in 2016, the team that I always wanted to do everything they were doing was the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves do such a great job helping fans who have disabilities. They have people on their staff who have disabilities. They really do a great job making content accessible for those who have disabilities, really embracing people who have disabilities. Ever since I started with the Orioles, I knew that the Atlanta Braves did such a great job doing this. So I always studied what the Braves did, thought about how I could go about it, helping with with the Orioles or with other companies. And 
I really value what the Braves um, executives really want to do helping people who have disabilities. They're, they're just the same as the Baltimore front office staff, both with the Braves and Baltimore. All the staff really wants to help people who have disabilities to be successful. They value hiring people who have disabilities for employment. And that that is the greatest thing in in running a program like this for people who have disabilities. If if the staff loves doing it, I can help them be successful. Someone else can help them if they don't want to to have me help them or, or, or whomever, but you have to have a love for doing this. Sometimes when I contact a company and I talk about how I want to help make the social media accessible and someone connects me with the social media manager and he or she has no desire to talk with me about ways that the social media could be made more accessible or ways to create posts to help people who have disabilities to better understand the social media or to be a part of the social media that is a hard thing. So just finding the love and the passion for doing this, that is the greatest thing you can have. You can, you can, you can learn how to hire people who have disabilities for employment or to make that process better. But finding that love and that passion for doing this, that's something you can't teach and you have to experience either through maybe someone helped someone with a disability when they were in college or in high school or through having a child with a disability or through seeing fans who have disabilities at the game or finally going to interact with someone who has a disability at a game. Again, I don't think that's specific to engaging with disabled fans. I think the idea of people it's hard to convince people who don't want to be convinced on almost anything. I mean, our political environment obviously is a good way of looking at that, but you're right. It's helpful to start from a place where people understand what's going on in the first place and how the opportunity exists to engage with disabled fans in a variety of different ways. And that should be explored because we'll talk about this in the context of that article that you and I collaborated on that I had posted already, plus the one that's coming out on in John Wall Street about doing well by doing good. And that this is definitely something that you can have a love for, but also can have tangible impact on an organization. And that's something that is one area of focus that you and I have discussed. And two final questions as we're coming to the end of the interview. It's related to this, the topic we were talking about. You were specifically talking about social media. One of the areas that you and I talked about a little bit, and I highlighted in the article, is technology and the impact of technology to better enable sports organizations and disabled fans to become more involved in sports. Can you talk about whether it's social media or you talked about radio commentary? Can you talk about potentially the impact of technology specifically on disabled fans and how that can potentially either has or you think can increase engagement of sports organizations and disabled fans that new technology advancements could be potentially helpful in this mission in terms of engaging disabled fans and, and getting them more involved in both a fan context and professional context? The new technology has helped fans who have disabilities to experience sports through apps that can help them to navigate through stadiums, apps that can create pictures or things to help people who have trouble reading written text to understand what is going on. Technology is a way where what someone lacks, maybe because of a physical disability or what someone has trouble understanding, such as written text or being able to have something in a picture format based on words that are written on a screen, having having that converted into pictures for someone who has trouble reading written text. 
technology takes away someone's limitations, whether they are physical limitations or limitations where someone might struggle to comprehend something based on how it is presented through whatever technology someone chooses to use, an app or something where they can connect to someone else who can take pictures or translate the information. It can break down those barriers and those struggles in a very short time, in seconds or in a minute maybe, but in a very short time, you can understand where you're at. You can navigate to the next place. You can know where the next street is. Technology is what has equalized the workforce, and it's also equalized people with disabilities going out and being a part of the world and society as a whole. So now that technology has done its part, the 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 people in society have to give individuals who have disabilities opportunities now, more opportunities, because the the technology is there to eradicate the the barriers that are based and put in the way of people who have disabilities. I think that's a very well said. And I think the idea of technology providing new opportunities, breaking down barriers is exactly one real benefit of technology, particularly in helping disabled fans. I, I talked a little bit about in the context of generative AI and how generative AI enables a teacher, in this case, a teacher or teachers who are working with children with cerebral palsy to help them better engage with basketball and how youth participation in sports is a common strategy to get people more involved in sports. And that's something that I think technology can really help with. So I'm glad you were able to bring that up. And there's a lot more here and there's a lot more on this topic. And unfortunately, we are coming to the end of our time, but I definitely would like to have Bryce back on the podcast, potentially to discuss these topics in more detail. But I did want to end the podcast. I mentioned that we would come back to the Rick Pitino, Brad Stevens, you mentioned Tom Benson as well, Paul Molitor. You've obviously been successful in developing a network with a lot of well-known both athletes and non-athletes and leaders in the sports industry. How were you able to develop those relationships? And why do you think it can be really difficult. Obviously, those people have a lot of demands on their time. Why do you think they were willing to engage with you or what resonated about your story with them that you're able to develop these types of connections? With Coach Patino and Coach Stevens, Coach Stevens, I became friends when I was at the Indiana School for the Blind and I went to Butler's practices whenever they went to the final, went to the national championship game in 2010. I got to watch coach or listen to coach Stevens put in the special plays he used to hold Syracuse scoreless for the first four minutes of their sweet 16 game in 2010. And he's been someone who supported my work for people who have you know, all, all, um, uh, challenges and, and, um, and groups like that. Um, Coach P, Coach Patino, I became friends with him when he was coaching the Louisville Cardinals. When Louisville won the national championship, he cut me down a piece of the net. He also gave me a national championship ring, and he was just willing to talk basketball with me. I would say you never really know what people are like, whether they're famous or not famous, till you have a chance to to meet them. So just because you might think someone is a great person who you see on television, they might be that way or they might not be that way. I've had some go both ways, but I just try to think about how I can learn from them about 
sports and about life and and how I can maybe help make their team be more successful through speeches or through sending them videos of, of what the Beautiful Lives Project might be doing to really show the players on their teams to value the opportunities that they've been given and to use the platforms that they have as a pro athlete or a high level college athlete to impact someone, impact some cause, use the chance that you're given to impact someone's life. Because if you don't do that, you're hurting yourself and you're hurting other people who you can touch and assist. I think that's a beautiful way to end it and close out the podcast. Bryce, I want to thank you for your time. Like I said, I definitely would like to have you back because I think there's some topics that more topics that we'd like to discuss on the subject. But Bryce, thank you for the time. Thank you for the insight. And thank you for being part of the Revenue Above Replacement podcast. Thank you so much, Adam, for having me on. I would be willing to come back anytime you would like. Just let me know, please. Thank you, Bryce.